Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to In Conversation, a Dub Lab podcast where each week we will bring you interviews from the Dub Lab Radio Archives. Yes. So, all right. So, I have the pleasure today of having a discussion with the one and only Steve Roach. And for those of you um, unfamiliar with his work, he's Grammy Award nominated for New Age Album of the Year 2017 and 2018. Um, and has been a heavy hitter in the world of electronic music and I guess we can say natural ambient or tribal ambient and new age and a lot of these terms. Um, but here he is. So, yes, I am here. <laughs> and, and, and living and creating beyond the terms and beyond the genres, but just um, going where I have to go in order to uh, feed this passion I have for working with electronics and technology and synthesizers, you know, since many years now, since before, since analog was the only choice you had. So I I, I was born in 1982. That's, yeah, the year of my second album, yes. Mm -hmm. Your second album, so what was the year of your first? Uh, uh, Well, that would be Now, N-O-W, and that was in, uh, when I lived in L.A., and it was created in my little bungalow studio near MGM and the Helms Avenue area there in wow. beautiful Culver City, and that was a very cool little enclave of artists. And at that time, there was, you know, a burgeoning electronic music scene. Oberheim was was in Santa Monica. Um, wow. Serge was, had their, you know, he was building modulars on and West Hollywood, and you know, it was like a whole cool electronic, the the, the birth of the of the West Coast scene, really, at that point, you know. Wow. <clears throat> Along with your birth, somewhere maybe was that in Santa Monica? <laughs> <laughs> it was a, uh, uh, yeah, it was around there. I was I was con- conceived uh, in Santa Monica area, and then born in Goleta. <laughs> okay. Well. <laughs> That's a good place to be from, you know. So, so let's see. What? So you have a new album coming out, and you have a performance in Los Angeles at Ambient Church coming up on the thirtieth. A week from this moment, we'll be uh, setting up at this very moment in a week there uh, in Pomona. I mean, in uh, Pasadena, and. Um, 
at the Methodist, this beautiful contemporary Methodist church, large space. It's really like a concert hall more than you would think of as a church. The acoustics in there, I think, are going to be great. The architecture is really inspiring, lots of arcs and arches, and uh, they, they're mapping all that out uh, for computer-generated and uh, organic visual accompaniment to the music all evening so i think it's really going to be special and for me it's special it's a real return in a lot of ways to la where it all started like we were just talking about you know so many years ago and i certainly played concerts over the years in la and the last time i played there was in a um in a dome space uh, in downtown uh on the la center studios film lot but they had this really great and they, I think it still might be there. It's a geodesic dome space like you find at certain events, and, you know, it's a surround experience. So, but that was 2013, and a lot of things have evolved and changed musically since then and, uh, and on other levels. So this this uh, promoter doing the Ambient Church series in um, Brooklyn and New York and now in California and other in other cities he's kind of been the missing link i think for presenting this music that doesn't really fit into you know an easy um space to to promote it and to um present in a larger scale and that's what he's looking at is creating these experiences in these this this space which is there's it's so inspiring and beautiful regardless if you're religious or not or you have any connection to any kind of um you know direction in that way it, it's just the, the, the container itself is is completely uh, inspiring and set up for the perfect experience of deep listening and contemplation and um you know focused awareness on on this experience of sound. And so he's, I think he's really hit something here special. And he seems to be getting, um, you know, a great audience coming out supportive and it's like the timing just seems right. So we've been talking for a few years to make this happen on the West coast. And and now we're looking at, um, in New York as well. I'll be playing there in, in March. Oh, nice. What will you perform? Well, right now I'm performing for this concert. I'm performing new material, which I always do, that I create with the intention of being in a space like this or whatever sort of space I'm heading into. It's just inspiring to let the uh, let the creative juices flow for that particular um place and space that I'm moving into, and then I'll be uh moving towards uh recording Dreamtime Return which last year we uh you know I really took that out for the first time and played a, a good portion of the album and um that has sort of continued to evolve so I'll be playing you know a fair amount of pieces from Dreamtime Return that came out in 1988 but these pieces are constantly evolving and they're breathing and alive, so they're they're always different, and they're different for me, and they're different. If you saw the concert last week, it would be different from then till now. So it's it's a really uh, inspiring f- uh, form of pieces that 
continue to evolve and but yet there's a core emotion to them that's found inside of that album that was you know inspired by my my travels in Australia at that time and, and incorporating that that love of my deep connection to um, expansive spaces, desert spaces, which is why I live where I live, and then you know Australia being like the ultimate expansive environment to pull the boundaries off of your yourself and let your you know self expand out into uh, these infinite horizon lines and and in spaces. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Infinite horizons line. Yes. That's nice. <laughs> um so um I, I have I, I'm I'm writing out a few questions kind of based upon what you just said, but we'll we'll touch upon that um okay. later. So the New album, Bloom Ascension. Yes, mm-hmm. Bloom Ascension. What does Bloom Ascension refer to? Bloom Ascension, like so many of my titles, is the intention is a, a metaphor or a trigger point for many layers to dream and think and feel into. That um, can be an invitation, but to the music and to the process of what the music might inspire within your own process, but to leave it open to where you can interpret and um, have your own connection with that. So that, again, like the music, every time um, I'll perform something or or move into a place with a piece that might have already existed or it's becoming uh, apparent, that it's forming right in front of you, there's this kind of blooming outwards, this kind of fractalized, um, kaleidoscopic sense I get when I'm creating all the time that, that there's this evolution of of energy, creative energy, and then the actual forms themselves take on a, a strong visual impact. And then there's this emotional through line that... Um, is unfolding and and feeding into the next moment. So there's it's this it's like the like a constant. If life was a constant segue where you're constantly moving from one space to the next, and sometimes those spaces, like within um, my concert experience, I I really aim to weave this kind of dreamlike experience where things are evolving and morphing and blooming and and kind of working in the way that our thought process can work in, in, in at its best, you know, when you're not spiraling into a, an OCD state or you're, but you're on the front edge of now is how I call it. When you're really on the front edge of now, you're really, it's like you're surfing, you're surfing a wave that never ends and you're always right at that beautiful crest right at that peak and you just keep riding it and riding it and riding it and that's those are the spaces I really love to aspire to generate live in the studio or live um, with an audience or or just being alive itself it's that kind of pursuit of those spaces and I, I think it's it's not it's certainly not unique to me that we want to crave to be in these peak experiences or in these heightened states of of being alive. And so a lot of that that I'm referring to is just what fuels the 
my music over all these years is that you know that kind of um connection to that continuous unfoldment and so bloom ascension spiral revelation molecules of motion i mean um those albums all have and are just you know the tip of the iceberg of the of the space that you know i'm reaching towards and then this this sense of being connected to the moment you know all is now my first album was now so those titles all are about creating a, a multi-layered resonances uh, that could be taken in many different ways while at the same time suggesting um, what this particular intention is on the album so for bloom ascension that album was created essentially as you hear it that's that's the time that it was created in. It was created you know, in the studio. Uh, there wasn't any second guessing. It's like a pure experience of creating in that moment and and just taking full, making full connection to that. So there's there's really no overdubs. There's it's just music being made as you hear it. It's like I just have this visual. That's why the, the LP, the circular format of something spinning in your living space with the cyclical nature of that music to me is a perfect fit as well, you know, for that reason. So does your, this fractalized vision um, come first? Does this inform the way that you make your music or does your music um, inform the type of fractalized vision yeah, it's, I'd say it's a symbiotic process where the the process of being in the process creates the process of the unfoldment of the process. You know, yes, so it's, yes. it's it's like an M.C. Escher painting, if you know his work, where you have the the, the stairways and ladders that are up going up and down and inside and outside, and they're constantly or you know organically unfolding. Um, but the 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 nature of this particular album and the, the these this suite of albums the spiral revelation and before that there was spiral meditation and then molecules of motion and there, you can sense from the title there's movement and there's um, there's this kind of energy to it that when you're working in the, in this style of sequencer based music where you're using this tool for the non electronic heads out there which creates patterns that you can influence and manipulate and and weave together these this matrix of of patterns that unfold and unlock like um aspects of consciousness that that no other music really can and like well skeleton keys was another album that actually came out on vinyl as well another sequencer based album but I have, um, you know, this com compulsion to create that kind of music out of a, it's it's not, it's just been from day one, from, you know, two years before you were born to create this music mm -hmm. that's cyclical and that is, but it's not putting you in a, in a dulled or a, or a drone state. It's put, it's, it's enhancing. It's like an, a, a thought performance enhancing sonic drug you know in a sense and the way it, it activates and stimulates um 
perception and awareness and, and, it, and even though it has this cyclical um, it, it would seem repetitious on the surface there's all this inner movement happening inside of it that as you connect to it and as you're creating um, you know it, it pulls you deeper into it and so the process of creating that music I mean I hear it and I'm thinking about it all the time with when I'm not working in the studio I mean I'm hearing and feeling the symmetry and and the the, the different um, formulas for creating these interlocking patterns and um, that's a at this point partly because I've spent so much of my life doing it it's 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 embedded into my consciousness where I'm thinking in, in those pattern like senses. But so when you're actually working with, you know, in the studio with the tools and you're living inside of this, you know, three to four dimensional space of rhythmic melodic patterns, the, that is, that is a huge in, in, uh, informer on where the, how the pieces evolve, because it's like, you can only get there if you're, if you're, have these these sort of musical equations or these forms that you're working out and you're and you're for, building together and sometimes it'll just start to form so in a live setting so instantly the real uh, you don't really you know rehearse or practice for a concert like this or even in the studio recording you just have to be available to know when you're when everything is gelling and instantly be able to consolidate and tune in on it and, and know that you're in a magic moment right here and you have to capture it instantly. Or it, it just it's like a sunset that that's just happens once in your lifetime and if you don't take a picture of it, it's gone. That's it. Never again, you know. Mm-hmm. So bloom, ascension and all these you know, the non rhythmic, the non sequential, the more deep drift, atmospheric, total immersion spaces, it's all working from the same philosophy. It's just at a different frequency and it's just again the um over the years you just get more and more um tuned into knowing when when it's time to you know capture that and nowadays because you can record for hours and weeks for you know without having to buy reels of tape if you're some guys are still using that which is cool too but in terms of just being able to record you know infinite runs of spaces that's what i'll do sometimes too is record two three or four hours of stuff while i'm creating and then you go in and then you find these it's like taking a beautiful hike and then at a certain point you took pictures along the way and, and those were so those were okay and those didn't come out at all and then there's some sections that were stunning but at that point you're not concerned that you're even recording something you just you're in the process and then you happen to be documenting it but um so, you know, um, yeah. well, well, what, one thing that you mentioned was, was resonance. Um, what? Resonance. Yes. Um, how does resonance uh, factor in either in terms of equipment or the um, – how do you define the term resonance on, like, a greater uh, scale? Yeah, resonance for me is about – well, it, it's it, – so much of this comes back to um, an emotional response to sound at a core level. And if you resonate with it and it gives you a sense of a larger sense of yourself and a larger sense of space and time 
or a more refined space. You know, it doesn't have to be larger or size oriented. It could be a refinement of an awareness um, that is unique to each of us in our consciousness. And so there's a voice or there's a resonance in my music that that I can't really explicitly define because I don't need to. I'm defining it with what you're hearing. Mm-hmm. And, and so if that that creates and evokes a sense that goes beyond our language, then that's that's what I'm reaching for. And so the resonance that I'm reaching towards and what, you know, would compel me to to put the energy into coming out and playing this live or to putting music out or doing anything based with sound at the level that I do is because it's like a it's a it's a nourishment that I get from nowhere else and in no other way. And so when you're getting nourished, then you want more of it. And when you want more of it, then the resonance frequency increases. And and so your your desire to go further and deeper and more into that just becomes it's it's a natural thing, you know. So um, maybe that's a more abstract or an esoteric way of thinking of resonance, but it's really about a tangible connection to what moves you and 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 knowing what that is and tuning into it in a way that you can um, take it further and deeper as you go further and deeper into your you know what what your art form is, whether it's music or painting or writing or any of that so yeah, like I was just going to say the instruments that I choose to create this kind of resonance are still, I mean, I'm a 100% hardware guy. And it wasn't a matter of like, you know, starting out with hardware and then going, you know, off the map into like soft sense and all that sort of thing. I mean, I've just, you know, you'll see my Oberheim expander I've had since um, the mid 80s will be right there front and center uh, next Friday, you know. So those are instruments I have lifelong connection and relationship to and sounds that have been in there growing and evolving along with me all this time. So it's not um, it's about, not about convenience. It's very not about convenience because the, the ritual of bringing out the amount of gear that I'm bringing is... Uh, that's intense right there. That's like when you start to pull it down to do a show, you're going, this is really a genetic defect right here. <laughs> this is the, this is the guy that's up at, at 20,000 feet at Everest. And he's like, what the hell am I? So, well, what, what all are you bringing? Uh, well, I don't want to spoil it, but I'm bringing, you know, some of my favorite stuff from, uh, from the last 40 years, you know, wow. part of the, part of this whole, um, this particular concert is because of my history in LA and all the way back to the eighties and with Oberheim and, you know, the hundreds of concerts I did there and little, you know, electronic music concerts for 15 people and, and for, you know, 150 people and for 500 people. And, you know, I mean, I did a lot of concerts in LA from 1981 through 90 and, um, so there's that history there and that connection, and then there's the connection of going out to Joshua Tree as much as possible, and then there's like the foundation of my friends that were all there doing electronic music, and some still are, and then um, 
So there's all you talk about resonance and emotional resonance and and like a you know the kaleidoscopic view of my own self looking at where it all started there. There's a lot there. So for me, I you know I've got friends you know flying in from France and all over the place. So the least I can do is to bring out some of my favorite uh, instruments that have been with me all these years, along with my friends and audience that's been with me for all these years. So it's that, that part, um, you know, it's really giving it back. And so I I just, I'm not, I I can't play uh, something on the expander, you know, that's replicated on a software program in a laptop. I mean, that's, that's just, absolutely no way cannot that's just not what i do you know and but it's you know absolutely amazing stuff i'm hearing out there with guys that have uh two laptops and and that's it you know i mean it's it's just how whatever your own particular process is for extracting the resonance out of your creative you know impulses and so also just the hands-on nature of of hardware gear i just i get so much joy from that and i get connection to that you know and I, even though these are uh you know production line instruments some of the sense with you know you, you could fly to another city and load your sounds into it and potentially use a you know a nord lead in new york city and just put a card in there but i still have this my own opinion about that and where i i I still feel like certain instruments I have, even though they're they're mass produced, there's they they come together differently, and some of them sound different than others. So it would be almost like if I fly to New York to do a concert and I rent a Nord lead and then I put my sounds in it. There's I can tell there's a subtlety, you know, sometimes in there. There's a subtle difference, and it would be almost like well, if you know, I'm not saying. I mean, let's just say a, a guitar player of stature flies into L.A. and he rents his guitar at Guitar Center and strings it up with some strings, and then, you know, that's not going to work. I mean, you've, he's got your instrument that's got your 20 years or 30, 40 years of your own soul injected into it, you know, even if it's how the knobs feel, like if the knobs are real stiff and scratchy or tight. I mean, all that stuff plays into the visceral connection that's, that's a big component for this, and I think that's why you're seeing the modular explosion be, being what it is now, because there's that tactile. I mean, I know that is, but that's one of the pieces that is that there's such subtlety and that tactile connection that that you that you don't get from zeros and ones. Do you use any modules or modular in here? Absolutely, I've been in been in the uh, in you know in that realm for since the 90s when Dofer was the only game in town I was using Dofer in the very beginning in the mid 90s and then um, then stayed with it and then is you know I remember back when uh, Analog Haven now Noisebug and Pomona was the, the first shop really maybe there was one or two, one other shop in America at that point a storefront where you could go in and, and put your hands on the modular stuff but that's when it was really starting to blow up and, but by uh, the early 2000s, I was starting to really, you know, Euro, Euro rack or Euro crack, as we like to call it, mm-hmm. really uh, started to take hold. And, you know, there was new manufacturers coming out. And now it's to the point to where it's just completely, well, you know, 
off the chart with how much there is to offer in the Eurorack format. So I have a, a form a Eurorack, you know, pretty good sized Eurorack studio system, and then so, some smaller portable systems, and part of that will be coming with me. And then I also have the large format. I in 2014 I wanted to, after years of not being able to get my hands on it or, and afford it, is to build up a larger format, the Moog format modular uh, for the sequencer directed music where it's that those particular large format modulars are really geared towards um, a different kind of hands-on formation of especially the, the, the sequential sequential music because of the, the the nature of how those modules are designed and that um, you can really get physical with it you can perform with it it's it's uh, the, the ergonomics of it, the way it's laid out. It's just I find it really um, inspiring and appealing to create that form of music, like skeleton keys, or, or you know, a good part of what you hear on Bloom Ascension is on the large format analog modular and the Eurorack. So the large format for the non-music heads again is uh, what you would think of as the old older, larger, you know, Tangerine Dream-sized um, modular synths that, um, you know, looks like a giant wall of of um, knobs and patch cords and all that. So, um, But the sound of that, it also, because, well, friends say the power supply, the, the stuff that drives it is robust, and so the sound can be massive, and, and the bass and... Um, well, that's why you know Moog is so famous for their sound. Is it, it, the, the DNA originated from you know the original big Moog modular, which was the one that was you know put put that sound on the map. So they they extract you know they, that sound continues to get passed down through the lineage of their new instruments. But um, this system I have it's from a, a company Synthesizers.com, and they they took the large format Moog um, style uh, way of putting putting modules together in, in cases and and then retooled it in, in in the late 90s and now they're flourishing. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of film composers, um, all types of ambient electronic dance. People are discovering that that the that format, you know, it's absolutely plays very well together with Eurorack and with everything else. So it's just another, you know, another great tool that we have available to us right now that's affordable and it's portable. And that's the whole term that I use when I first came into doing music in the late 70s, when I first started in 79, 78 on an ARP 2600, is that it, it, at that moment in history, those instruments were out of the academic world and then became affordable and portable for the first time and even affordable back then was still you know you had to take a small loan to get it if you were just a working class guy like myself and so you figured out some way to get it when you had to have it when you when you discovered what made those sounds it's like i have to have that in my life somehow so now you fast forward and it's amazing how you know you can almost buy modules at circle k you know <laughs> it's getting so popular, which is fantastic. And you know, I mean, even like Behringer doing knockoffs, and I mean, it's just helping to 
you know, spread the gospel of sound as an art form at this really incredibly powerful level, you know, which is what it's all about. So, um, but I just, no. you know, I, you'll see uh, the span of technology uh, in my concerts, you know, covering uh, a lot of years up there, you know. But it's all about the, the music and the sound. It's all about delivering the impact and the power of that sound and and that's what remains vital and completely um, essential to me and it's not about at this point convenience I mean when I do shows back east I have to sort of eat a bit of that those words because I have to you know travel I cannot travel with with my favorite tools especially you know like Oberheim stuff and things that you know you just they're too valuable and too fragile to fly with but I find friends on the East Coast or wherever, and I can a lot of times gather a system together and still maintain the integrity of having, you know, the, the love of the hardware there to express the, you know, the passion and the resonance. And, and will you be using a mixing board or a console? That's a really good question. The mixing board console is 100% equal to everything that we've been just talking about. I mean, I'm... I teach, um, you know, workshops on doing this kind of music with with uh, folks, and I always start out where the board is like that's the that's the palette where you where you where, I mean mixing means mixing colors, blending, and again the hands-on scenario is just it's so uh, maybe overlooked or or taken for granted that well I've got you know. A, 56 channel mixer in my laptop and that's cool but I mean I have a 56 channel mixer in my studio that looks like a little small um, you know aircraft carrier you know and that's what kind of mixer it's a Soundcraft and uh, a GB8 series board which is very affordable and I've I've been using Soundcraft since since almost day one I mean the the British original British flagship EQ and the preamps and the sound of it is just it's an instrument and you can you know there's guys that are still running their computers into sound crafts to to get that sound you know with, that you get from that so um, front and center in all my concerts you'll see in all the pictures is you know I have a 32 channel board that's like I'm that's my main console that's bit that's part of the main part of my setup so and that's a, a sound craft as well yeah, that's a Soundcraft 32 channel uh, LX72 live, and it's I use it in the, in the live. I have a live studio room where I do a lot of album recordings, but in the room that I call the live room because of things that happen in there. That's it's set up for performance, but it's also set up for spontaneity and and and, and some of the choices are taken away, so it focuses you into the into making things happen instantly, you know. So. But again, the board, you know, I'm, my friends who know me, I mean, they, you know, they call me the chairman of the board, you know, because <laughs> I've got boards, like all kinds of mixing boards, like I have, you know, I collect boards. And, and for the longest time, their value was falling away, and so you could get really amazing boards for a really amazing, you know, price. And so it's just hard to see this lonely board sitting there that no one's, you know, taking care of. And so, in different scenarios, I'll, I'll use you know smaller, or larger, whatever kind of board, or, or I'll just I'll have to you know rescue a board from someone to, and then have it for a friend to get or something you know. But now I have my own little fetish around around mixing boards and 
Um, it's uh, it's a beautiful thing, you know. That's just the subtlety and the the performance aspects of using a board live is uh, not to be um, understated. And I would say probably the one of the first real experiences of seeing how a mixing board was used powerfully live was when I lived in L.A. I would see Philip Glass on a regular basis at Dorothy Chandler or wherever at some venues there in L.A. and out on the front of the stage was his mixing engineer, Kurt Nunciak, I think is how you say his name. And that was a paradigm shifter because here's a guy who's part of the Philip Glass ensemble, but he's sitting out in front with the board and he's driving the whole sound that the audience is hearing and, and basically performing as another member, you know, within the ensemble, shaping and dynamically sculpting and and presenting that sound that it all fits together as a, as a sculpture in a sense. And so that's uh, that was an early infusion of using a board as a performance instrument and not just some, you know, auxiliary um, object that sits on the side somewhere. So, again, that's a big piece. And, and when I'm in a space like I'll be in next week or I'm in a smaller venue, I mean, the board, if you have that immediate instant availability to shape and conduct the, the orchestration and the sound arrangement and the texture and the and just the frequencies that you have to be um, constantly vigilant and aware of when you're performing. Uh, if you don't have your hands on that and you're not able to shape it instantly, if you're having to click on a page and pull a, a slider over with a controller or a mouse or something, forget about it. You know, I mean, it's just, it, those moments are going by so fast. <clears throat> so, I, you know, it's really about shaping, carving, sculpting, tuning into the sound of the space, big or small. And I've, I've played in massive spaces and, and very intimate, you know, living room concerts. So that's part of the, you know, the all is now uh, approach to where you just have to adapt constantly and you have to be able to adapt without for me, without, um, you know, it has to be instant, inst instantaneous. I really, I can't be flipping through pages and, and uh, you know, working in that way. So that, again, the mixing board, yeah, you hit a, a really very, very uh, valid um, point on that. And do you, uh, when, when performing or recording, do you think, or do you just act? Uh, that's a combination of all of that. There's, there's an intellectual thinking, forming, evaluation. There's a, a, a instantaneous listening about, you know, where you're, you're basically, you're composing, you're arranging, you're mixing, you're conducting, you're, you're passively listening as a listener. You're constantly rotating, moving around through all of those different states of focus and awareness, and, and that's what's so addicting for me to play music. And when I say live, it doesn't. It could be no one in the room for weeks, or it could be with an audience. But creating music live, where you're in that experience, it's like um, it, it, when you have to activate those levels of perception and awareness. Um, you know, and the more you do it, it's like anything you do, you, you develop um, 
you know, a, a strength around that. You do, like if you work out every three, every other day or something, you're going to get stronger and healthier. And if you just go in the studio like I'll do with everything set up and just at any moment of the day or night, uh, just go in and start playing instantly and just get it. And, I, and my aim is to drop into that sweet spot um you know, effortlessly. Sometimes it's not very, not as quick or not, you know, it takes longer or there's other stuff going on in your life, but there's that kind of, um, you know, strengthening of the skills to to, to be aware of multi-dimensionally, um, I guess you would say, or multiple, listening on multiple sonic levels and, and dimensions of, especially when you're mixing a lot of things together like I do that you'll hear live, there's layers the way all that fits together and it's constantly changing and, and evolving based on well on the acoustic space that you're in on how you're feeling that day on how you're hearing if you maybe you're, you've got some congestion or your ears are hearing differently so nothing can be taken for granted or taken you know um, if you're interacting and you're able to with the music and you're able to shape it um, you know anew every day where you come to it and you and you so you turn yourself over to that process. So you're, um, you know, staying completely connected to it in the moment. And it's not, you're not just phoning it in, you know. Now, one one thing I wanted to ask about is just your, uh, how, how you define space in a grand general term related to your process and your work because just in this in your recording themselves there is space and also you've mentioned about the vastness of space of australia desert mm -hmm. and um a lot of your uh, album titles also have this overall feeling of like a vastness of space so and then acoustic space, too, for the performance coming up, um, you mentioned this, like, the acoustics of the room and resonance. So how how does space factor into your work? Well, just from the way you described that, it's certainly, we can see it's a big theme in terms of expansive um, environments and how I wish to express that in the sounds that I create and the way you define space within a recording. Sometimes that's with contrast, so you can have a sense of perspective. You have, you know, technically you have things closer to you, or you have, of course, you know, being complete reverb junkie, um, you know, I'll create and design these spaces that give me that sense of, of the boundaries of the body falling away. That's really a big piece of it. That's why I love living in the desert and when the temperatures are just right here you you feel this expansiveness that's just natural that that a lot of times we try to find in other ways through other forms and so when i discovered this first discovered this music i was instantly um, drawn to the fact that it gave me that sense of the boundaries of physical limitations falling away but you know in a really uh, very natural way it wasn't something i had to you know get dosed up on to experience i could experience it through 
controlling my own sonic dosage, you know, of how I was going to do that, which is the most the most interesting to me. And so, growing up in in San Diego and Southern Cal, and, and going to the you know growing up in deserts and all of that, that was like the the easel from where these paintings started to come from, from you know emotionally and through my own aesthetic of what was my, uh, what was so important to me was that that feeling of um, you know that that expansiveness. So you know, being in cities, I can do that for a short period of time, but then it, it's really it's, it's almost like an alarm goes off and I have to get out. You know, I have to get back to. To Tucson, Arizona, you know, mm-hmm. and I have to get back to the space and the place where it all keeps coming and emerging from. And so just from my studio window, I mean, I can look out and I'm just looking at about 75 miles out the window here, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and so that that as a constant supportive metaphor for expansiveness is just something I craved from, you know, early on. And it's just kind of second nature to to what I uh, what I'm drawn to but again within the music I mean the techniques that I've developed they're here and they're there for you to hear and those those um, sounds just continue to I continue to keep looking at new ways to express that kind of expansiveness and then when there's rhythmic material let's say well let's say the sequencer stuff we've been talking about that's one form but when you move more into the other worlds that I've worked in which is sometimes called the tribal ambient period or that kind of realm that you'll hear on Dreamtime. There's more, the, the rhythms are much more um, massive and majestic and, and, the, and much, much slower and, and um, really like these just massive footsteps over the continent size of Australia, for example. I mean, it just, it's, it's, um, it changes the perspective when you have that kind of space between the beats and you have that space where there's the beats are, are really almost there's breath, a lot of breath between uh, the, the beats themselves. And so I really crave, crave that sound to where the beats create a different kind of, of uh, breath space, you know, between the, the beats. And then, and then when you combine that with the diaphanous chord, breath aspect and then those things work together in their own organic way where they're not synced up then there's this living component to the music where every time you hear it for me and when I hear you know in my music or other people's music that I appreciate there's a sense that it's regenerating itself when you hear it again it's like it's renewing it's renewing you it's like you're hearing it different today than you did yesterday and that's what for me it's also because everything I'm creating and working on and sleeping with and living with is, you know, I'm analyzing it at that level as well. I mean, I, I don't, you know, when I create something, I typically live with it for for quite a while or at least long enough to know that it's hit, hitting the, that sweet spot. And then, you know, I'm so I'm kind of like the test pilot on all of that material. And um, even, well, a lot of the material, I'll put it in loop mode and then, put it at a lower volume and then try it out for a couple of weeks, sleeping with it and see at different points if it wakes me up or if, I, if I'm doing more of the immersive long-form zone worlds, you know, I have to really work, at, work, work with it at that level too. So 
but space, yeah, and space can be, you know, defined in, in a lot of my music, whether it's rhythmic or non-rhythmic or, or drone or, or the, the diaphanous breath space, you know, like structures from silence where the space between the notes or the chords um, and the sounds that are occurring, I mean, that's, that's all part of this music. And I think that's why modular, electronic, you know, there's so much within that realm that's about controlling space, you know, in terms of when events happen and how you can create rhythmic events or completely random, non-rhythmic, or, or other kinds of timed patterns that, that, uh, that again, you can only achieve by having your hands on all these different parameters of time which again the modular gear especially offers you know, which makes it so so fascinating and, and you know endlessly inviting to work with now if so if the the boundaries of the body fall away as you said mm-hmm. what should your listeners take from that like what does that mean if uh this expansiveness can be experienced like after somebody listens to your album then what should they take away with it after they are off in their day-to-day life like what is that what is the greater message of that yeah i guess that's what's the message when you take away when you when you're craving to get out into uh, nature and you and you get renewed by what's happening in that soundscape of being out there in that environment where you're you're having this kind of this communion with the core of yourself, that's really what my music is about. Initiating is a reconnection to the core of what is really important to your own self, and that answer I can I can't answer for anybody else. But in terms of the 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 content of that core you know but it's the 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 accessibility of finding that still point or that place of of pure connection to what's important to you as an individual and and is really that's for me the resonance of of my work and that's what keeps keeps me coming back to it and i think what keeps my you know the audience that's been listening with me for all these years drawing to it um, is that itself? It's like the, it's like to me the sound of turning the sound, the volume of life itself up, like up to eleven, and um, and that that is so, so individual to each of us. But there's kind of like a, this for me, it's like a pure transmission of of the, the beauty and and delicate, fragile power of being alive, and, and that's so much of what this music represents to me. Wow, that's beautiful. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I mean, I don't even, I don't even know what to say now. <laughs> <laughs> I think we reached the sweet spot right there, my friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're there. That's it. I mean, it's all sounds all good to me. Man, yeah, we could we could, we could well, end it the, there, but yeah, no, that's the big sigh. I mean, that's the you know the sigh of ages. That's one of my 
and that's still one of my favorite albums that I don't know how many people know that, but that's that that is uh that's got what you're talking about in it. You know, it's like that that's that was just like a big sigh that you 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 know, just naturally went to there, you know, which is mm-hmm. just like you, you know, and, and the sigh comes from man, I just got through that and you just let that out breath go, you know. <laughs> you know, and you just go, Oh my god, how did I make it through that? And then but through that sigh, then there's that space between the sigh and the next breath. And that's that space of breath between and that's that's a powerful you know, that's a place I'm completely aware of in, in my music. And you hear that in structures from silence. And uh so that you know, that breath is really the place to uh come home to and and, and that's why I keep coming home to it, you know, so um involuntarily in my process I have to. Um I uh there's one thing that she said that I also wanted to mention and um I I had this thought a few years back that the the electronic musician uh rides at the crest or surfs the crest of the breaking waveform. Beautiful. Yeah. And you pretty much said exactly that. Um, what can you dive a little further into what that means? Man, I mean uh, to be at that point of immediate now. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's almost a. I don't know if what's the right word, an oxymoron to try and describe it when you're talking about being in it when you're in it, you know, it's like, it's so, um, free language. Well, it's so, I mean, it's so, it's such a, uh, a space that, you know, I just keep trying to remind myself and friends and just when we're having talks about all this stuff and we get obsessed with gear and there's like, there's always that whole piece about need more gear. I need the next module. I need more stuff. But I mean, to ride that crest, you don't need like anything except like a stronger discipline to, to, you know, have the courage to go to the front edge of the now moment and just create and keep drawing and keep asking the bigger questions that you can't always just get the straight answer from from somebody or something, you know, and that's what I think creativity is why it's so um, healthy and so powerful is that that process that comes through, you know, turning yourself over to the creative process, uh, it's it's just so much is gained from that in terms of nonverbal understanding and insights and perspectives that you're, you're just not going to get from anywhere else, you know, you know, and if you're, you know, connecting directly purely into that moment and then and then when you hit those waves those creative waves of perfection and the more you do it then the more you understand it but it's still it's it's at best it's a non-verbal wave that you're tapping into that's why we you know these things are all there for us to fine-tune and however you do it with knobs or a laptop or you know a didgeridoo or your voice or whatever it is um, you know, it's really a birthright. I mean, we were all born, you know, with this urge to create and and to connect to something bigger than ourselves. And sometimes that gets um, 
you know, gets confused with other things and then, you know, can, can become an unhealthy sort of thing. But in this case, um, I still don't feel I'm any, in any kind of situation where I'm going to overdose doing on, you know, electronic music. You know, there's, mm-hmm. it's, so, it's, it's so nourishing and so, um, you know, powerful and inspiring on so many levels and, and that uh, just, I just keep, um, you know, wanting to stay healthy and keep serving, you know, that higher calling in myself to, to keep going into deeper into the creative process with it all. So I don't know, that's kind of a long winded, uh, you know, attempt to ride the wave there at a higher level with you. So, <laughs> man, but I mean, it's clearly reflected in your, um, in the vast number of releases that you've put out and continue to put out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's uh, bewildering to some people, but I, I can't, worry about that i can only uh, you know i just have to do what i have to do and unfortunately with sam rosenthal at project i mean he's he's uh, helping facilitate that in a way that's you know makes sense for for us all so i really appreciate that you know huge so uh, and, and that's so the bloom ascension is uh to finish up with that if you want um i mean that 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 album you know, grew out of this whole language I've been really developing with the larger format modular and the bureau rack material, but it's also, again, it's like the, the, the music creates this, you know, like skeleton keys, the concept was it's, it's a key that creates that only this key opens this door to this kind of this awareness or this space that that, that kind of music creates that, that kind of symmetry, that kind of MC Escher, uh, like forms of interlocking patterns that then you know um, unlock aspects in your consciousness when you hear it, and there's, you're not going to get it any other way. Mm. So, um, bloom is a natural outgrowth of that direction I've been exploring along parallel. You know, I'm always creating in parallel. I'm creating that in the morning, and I'm creating subactive deep drone drift stuff in the night, and then somewhere in the afternoon, who knows what's going on at that point. But um, it's and and I've, since the '80s, I've always found that with electronic music, because you can shift between all these different dimensions of sound so quickly that I felt like this challenge in a way to not just do one form of music. And so that's why I have a I work in a lot of different different spaces and places, um, you know, dynamically. Is that there's this creative agility that you can develop over time by you know working in different forms and more abstract or very dark you know deeper ambient dark ambient type things or the sequential stuff all of that it all fits together it's all and, and they all feed each other you know one one into the other so but with blue because i'm you know that's a sam at projects that i really would love to create an album with you that was like if if we were in the wayback machine and it was like the mid eighties, what, what would you do to release an album that would make a statement with the medium of that time, which would be a shorter medium other than, well, CD was still compromised. I mean, that, that limitation of the CD. And then of course now digital, you could put up a 10 hour album into a band camp, mm-hmm. um, which is coming, you know, <laughs> but, and, but you're, um, 
so the album is going to be available on a number of different mediums. Do you want to right. talk about that? Right. So well, the, well, the, it's available on different mediums. I mean, ultimately, music lives beyond any medium. It just lives. It, that's the pure and simple fact that we sometimes get hung up on while well, CDs are going away or L vinyl is, is where it's at or you know, eight tracks, when is that coming back, you know, but um, <laughs> 78, all of that, it's still, the, the music is the message, and then the medium is, well, there's a certain obsession that we have, and I still have, and I still love physical objects, I love the totemistic aspect of holding a CD or a cassette or a LP or something in your hand, rather than, you know, a USB thumb drive or a micro SD card or something that has like the last four, 14 years of my music on it or something, you know? So there's still that tangible connection to holding something. I think that's still valid for some people, but in any case, in our case, we wanted to create, you know, a, an album that was not compromised in any form in, in, in terms of the physical medium that we were putting it out in, meaning that there's not like, um, you know, a cassette version, and there's not an LP version or a CD version where the where the the, ta- the aspect of having a canvas, a sized a size of canvas that you had to work within, like the, the famous surrealist Max Ernst would created a series of these minute these I forget what the name was, maybe they were called micros microscopics or some micro something or miniatures, but he would create these tiny little paintings on the size of almost a, a, ma- a matchbox and, mm. and had a whole, like, you know, an exhibition of these tiny, you know, when he's normally working in large, you know, half wall sized canvases. So for me, it was something like moving into a place where the timeline of vinyl with this kind of music in order to get proper sonics translated across. You can't have, um, you know, 35-minute sides for an album. And, you know, the needle won't just barely even get into a groove at that point. So uh, we just looked at the timeline, and I and we just said, well, I'm just going to have these two canvases that are about 22 minutes big, sized, you know, whatever that would equate to in inches. Uh, for a stretched canvas and then make the statement work for that size of canvas and then that would create creatively um, decisions that would be made that would be very, very different from when you had twice that much time to work in. So it was, um, and then once I went went about creating pieces that fit together like four pieces to a puzzle, it, it, it really ultimately became to me like a, 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 a suite or four or one long piece with four movements in it was how I think of Balloon Ascension because they once one you know it starts out a certain way and then the second piece sort of carries you forward and then the third piece kind of really dials into this hitting this these all these kind of sonic sweet spots and then the third fourth piece is the piece that kind of takes it out, takes you home, and then it starts, then it cycles back around again. So I find myself listening to it in loop mode, and it and it has a feeling of one long, you know, 44-minute piece at that point. And um, so that's, you know, on the LP version, it's, of course, one and two and three and four on the other, on both sides. And then 
cassettes, you know, I wanted to put it on cassettes, so I made a small run of cassettes, and those actually sound really cool. I've been putting out small runs of cassettes on recent albums. Oh. And, um, How many did you make? I made uh, 100 in a batch. Okay. And, I just ha- and I just have them available out there, and, and then when they go, you know, see to see each time, you know, how they hit. And but it's just it's really just you know having that there's another cool object out there, and there's uh, that one the last place standing there in Chicago that's making their own tape now, National Audio Company. So I've, yes. I've had a few runs now. I mean, a few uh, titles with several runs of each title, and I'm just pretty amazed how, you know, they would sell out and then we'd order in another batch and then they'd go, and especially through Bandcamp. And, uh, you know, at the concerts, I have those too. So we'll have all, you know, you can have all three mediums there go home from the concert with a uh, party like it was 1985, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when was the last time you put out um, actual LP uh, on vinyl? Uh, well, We've been doing uh, the reissues like the Double Dream Time and Structures from Silence and Magnificent Void just came out, double album. But as far as like an album that was just created, you know, like this, like we just talked about, would have been in 87, it was Desert Solitaire, or maybe 88 or 89, I can't remember. Maybe, I think it was 89, Desert Solitaire was the last LP that came out. Um, and I think that might have had compromised time on it as well. Maybe not on that one, but certainly Dreamtime Return, we had to leave 20 minutes off of that. And um, so even back then when that transition was coming from, um, well, it wasn't even a transition at that time because some of those early albums were, uh, were not, there's not CDs, but, well, with Structures from Silence, that was actually, those were 30-minute sides on, on those LPs. But because the, there wasn't uh, pulse bass and heavy low end, you know, they could do a cut that would, wouldn't blow the needle out of, out of the vinyl at that point. So, um, Like a lot of those old Cos Chills records. Exactly. That's the, the time wind and all that. I mean, those they were doing 30-minute cuts on those, but... Yeah, you, you could, you know, if you played them as much as I did, they didn't, it wasn't any sound coming out of them after a while. They wear out <laughs> pretty fast, you know. <laughs> do you record to tape at all? I do not record to tape now. No, I do not. I record to uh, to the digital medium in different forms. But I have a digital two-track master recorder, which I really love because I. I don't have to look at a computer screen, and I have certainly, you know, more computers than anybody needs to do all that stuff for multi-track and in doing the arrangement and all of that. But um, I recently got into this Tascam DA3000, which just absolutely solid, tight, you know, in a sense, it's almost like a two-track analog recorder, but, you know, 2496 or whatever resolution you want, but and the way the mechanics work on it, it's you know it records to an SD card, so it's super tight. And you know, for six bucks or something, you get like a 32 gig SD card, and I mean that's liberating right there, you know. So, mm-hmm. will you be recording the show on uh, next Friday? Absolutely. Yeah, I have a 
a friend coming in who's using uh, you know some state-of-the-art recording equipment. We, 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 he tries to record all the shows and we're archiving, collecting all of those. Will it be made available? Uh, yeah, it will be at a certain point, yes. But that that whole thing I'm looking at about how that's going to work because I've got well, if you you know the re- the release material seems daunting to some people, but I mean with the amount of recordings that I have, that I'm looking at a way to you know make that available through Bandcamp, perhaps. Well, not perhaps for sure, but in just what mode I'm going to do that? We're working on that right now, but um, I mean you could you know I've got starts with bankers boxes filled with cassettes. And there's, and it's, I'm just, I'm not saying all this stuff needs to be heard by anybody, including me at this point. <laughs> but then there's, uh, you know, there's a lot of really cool things, and they all reach in there, just like a, when you're uh, doing the lottery and you pull out a ping pong ball, and it, that one's like the winner. And there's, I kind of reach into these boxes now and then and pull out these tapes and go, man, I don't even remember anything about that. But <laughs> so there's, what I'm saying is, I've got an abundance of unreleased material on. It starts on cassette, then it goes to dat tapes, and then I've got spools and spools and spools and even more spools and then more spools beyond that of CDRs because I'm a lot of times I just throw something in while a magic point is happening and then capture it and it's kind of just like you know if you have a camera and it's with you all the time, you know, and every day there's some beautiful thing or some wicked thing happening to capture it and then the biggest challenge is archiving it, and I'm terrible at that. I mean, there's a CD that's got some hieroglyphics, like not even words on it, just some things. <laughs> <laughs> and then so I'll go in there, and I'll be like, I remember there was that one CD that had like the four lines and a circle on it, and it's like it was from <laughs> it was from 2002, and it was on that gray spool, not the black one. So it's like this whole. I have my own kind of archaeological. Um, <laughs> dig going on here all the time and and when you get obsessed on finding that CDR that was on this particular like strange brand and the and the ink was yellowed on it and then you find it and then you and then, mm-hmm. I mean it's cool it creates a you know a whole other <laughs> sort of distraction from uh, you know looking up modules that that you need to get or something yeah and and so so if you so what you have released is only the tip of the iceberg. Well, it's a pretty good sized tip and it's it's very uh yeah, I mean there's there's those are those are the the pieces that are that are for me were significant and that needed to be, you know, they were that's what was happening at that time, but it's still uh you know, I can still at any moment like you know, how how come this did not this was well, this didn't get released. That's strange, you know. And then there's pieces mm. that I just absolutely lost track of. I mean, they were what I would call A plus um, material, but they they were recorded at maybe two in the morning, and they were never labeled. Even there's not even any kind of chicken scratch or hieroglyphics or anything like you know. There's it's just a blank disc, and I'll just sort of put it in and sort of you know stand back and see what happens, and then. It's like, oh my God! Listen, to what, how did that happen? You know, or else I'll just, or else I'll, I'll just, it'll be such that I'll throw it out because I don't want to hear it again. You know. <laughs> so how how do you keep up with yourself? Um, is you're constantly creating new material and performing, right. and so amassing this 
this library, um, it, it must be rather daunting. Well, it is. It's, uh, it, it's daunting to the point to where I have to take breaks from it. And um, I mean, at one point, if you came into my studio, there was just spools, you know, a foot high around like, like, um, like these little CD style hoodoos, you know, what hoodoos are, those rock formations mm -hmm. that you see at, uh, like the chair columns or whatnot. Anyway, this, these columns of CDRs that were just, you know, building and building. So finally I, I pulled them out of the studio because they were almost distracting and, you know, archived them in, in my archive area. And I mean, archiving meaning I put them in a banker's box for another day. <laughs> but um, I'm starting to get some friends to help me out on that because time is, you know, what it is. And uh, these things need to be, you know, evaluated and, Gonna need to, you know, for me, you know, it's not like I feel some like, you know, I need to get it out there, but it's, there's cool stuff. I want to share it, and I want to share it out there while I'm here to enjoy it with people, you know. So mm -hmm. that's uh, that's a that's one of the, uh, you know, many tendrils of this whole explosive kind of energy that I feel through the momentum that keeps building from doing this music all these years is. That you've got to manage your time and your focus and so the concerts yeah i'm doing concerts right now but you know i do three or four a year sometimes maybe two maybe i take a year off i mean it takes it's not it's a the cut when i choose to go out i can't just go out and and um i mean i, I need to create that experience that i create here and so it takes more energy so i pick and choose where that goes so after LA and uh, be driving to Santa Fe and I've got you know a lot of history there and a great audience and I've got two nights there and then um, in November I was invited to each year they have the All Souls procession in Tucson and it's this 30-year tradition for on the Day of the Dead which is really powerful celebration of our ancestors that aren't here anymore and um, of life and death and all that, but it's a huge tradition in Tucson. I mean, up, I think almost 100,000 people take part in this thing. Uh, and then they have a, a big celebration finale ceremony ritual in this big outdoor space And on Sunday, on November 2nd. And so I was invited to be the, the artist um, for the grand finale for that in the big outdoor performance area. And they have, um, you know, they're going to have like fire dancers and it's kind of like a burning man meets day of the dead scenario <laughs> so that you know that's going to be a very very exciting way to conclude the concert series nice. in tucson so it's all building up nicely and uh just you know staying uh focused on a week from today <laughs> and, and, more, and then um, by the time this airs, maybe it'll be tomorrow, you know. So we're <laughs> playing with time there a little bit, as I love to do. Yes, moving around, moving forward and backwards in time. Yep. <laughs> and so, all right, well, thank you. I, I have to thank um, Sublab for broadcasting this and Peter Grenader for arranging this. And Absolutely. I, thank you, Peter. And, and thank you, Steve, for your time and 
your details, and it's been an amazing discussion. Thanks, Thomas. Really enjoyed it. You had great, great questions, and uh, it was a lot of fun. So I hope to meet you there next week. I'll be there. Okay. All right. Thanks. Well, Thanks for everything. Okay. Of course. Thank you. Take care. Okay. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Bye. Dublin.